before you speak, Umkia, I'm to ask Auntie Kelly. So my question is, how have you managed to remain faithful, passionate and invested in both marriage and ministry? I think, do I need to speak into this? Good morning, everybody, by the way. Um, I think just being, um, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that we're called by God, that would sum up everything. Um, if God doesn't call you, you can't do it. It's too difficult. He has to call you, and he's called us. So Karen and I have been in ministry now for 43 years. We've been married for 48, and it's been the most amazing adventure. I love that you call your church adventure, and I just want to say something about that, that your adventure, it's an adventure church because you're in a season of adventures with God. And I feel, as I heard you say, Nick, that you are investing in other people that are starting to open up places. And when you have a heart for that, God gives to you. And it's Jesus that builds the church. And he will add and give you that land that you're speaking about, that place, to have a venue, that whatever. You do not have to worry about that at all because your heart is, your hearts are to open up places for others, to be invested in others. And when you do that, God brings for you. Uh, uh, just, just a quick little story. I remember when Kira and I went to Bible school at Christ for the Nations in 1980. And way back then, I remember we had nothing. And then somebody gave us a car. And we were so sorry, Kira. <laughs> yes, I told her, I'm doing a you on the crowd. <clears throat> and somebody gave us a car. <laughs> yeah. And there was a couple in our um in our friendship circle students too they were so miffed at god because they said we have been here for two terms and we've never had a car and why do they have a car and we don't and they were miffed and they did not get any car or any blessing from god for the whole time they were there and just towards the end they realized we should have been grateful and rejoiced with the tailors when they got a car and we never did and now we said, sorry, Lord. And when they said sorry and repented, we were totally unaware of it. They repented. God gave them a car. So what I'm saying to you guys is always be rejoice with those that have. And um, never say, why is it not me that doesn't have? So when you do that, God will add to you. And he's taking you on this adventure. So. I'm Kia. No, that's cool. <laughs> Thank you. <coughs> Thank you for the wonderful introductions. And, um, and to be with you all, some for the first time, catching up old friends, amazing uh, to see you here, and that's such a joy. And again, Nick and Shanae, for you to have us in. Um, we've kind of known about you and what's happening here for a while through Henny and Zelda. But, but just to be here with you, and to share God's word. I have um, something very specific. It's probably totally different to what I, what I normally would share, but it's, I think, you know, in a young church that's starting, there is something that's going on around the world that media has grabbed a hold of. And I don't know about your Facebook, it's about the Ashbury Revival, which seems to be on a decline at the moment, but out of that 25 other universities, including the Bible College that we were at, are in the revival. So Christ of the Nations is where we were at in Dallas, Texas. 
And we were there when they had a revival. Jim Spillman was a man who came through. I think he's still alive. And he trained me and taught me on the supernatural more than any other man in one week. He sat on the platform, swing his legs, hold the microphone, and just look around the audience of 1,200 students that were there. And uh, we were about 28 from Rhodesia, Zimbabwe at that time, and a few from South Africa. So we're the biggest foreign nation representation of students in that Bible school at the time we were there. God was doing something. And out of that many people, I think only one went back to work and never remained full-time. So there's a specificness. But he, he would sit there and you'd just say, okay, the Spirit of God's coming to you. Three, two, one. And that person would hit the ground and be called slain in the Spirit, not hypnotized. And just stuff would happen. He had my attention. Within three seconds, I was like, what just happened? I want to get there. So, so classes were canceled for a whole week because just worship and the presence of God came. People just moved around in the auditorium. So structure and format was pushed aside for His presence. What is God doing in the nations around the world? He wants that. Structure and format because He wants to be there. We have so much structure and format because we don't know what's going on so that we are in control. But when He comes, we're out of control and there's a mess and no one can take a blame and it's nothing. When, when song sheets are written on a brown paper packet and that's the whole morning service scribbled on a paper packet, it's like William Seymour putting a cardboard box on his head in the Sousa Street and waiting to hear God taking the box off and then commanding or telling about 15 people in wheelchairs, stand up, it's your time, and they do. Wouldn't you like church like that? Yes. In fact, would we like church like that? Yes. That is church. What should be like that? Yes. Yeah. And so, and Nick, I'm not bringing a whole challenge out and what you've been doing in Shawnee is that. But in the process of time, what is it that God wants? He wants us. He's more interested in you than what you can do for Him. If you've always done the things that you've always done, you'll always be where you've always been. Those are two uppercuts, one-liners that, that I love and uh, learned by heart. So I'm telling you, my friend, there's Dale, right? There's, there's a future ahead of you and you too, Ruth. What you're doing on the keyboard is what you have done. But I think in the future with this church, there'll be a whole lot more going ahead of you. Uh, I want to say to both of you, this is a kind of prophetic thing. It's a time to arise, stretch, flex again. You've got a gentleman here who will teach you how to do that. Flex again in the things of God and begin to advance on what the inheritance that you have in your lives and where you have been in your lives and what you know in your lives to begin to do those things again. You don't need any other man's permission to do what he's given you already in the Great Commission. You just need to go and cause that mission to happen. It's time for awakening in you. Stop yawning. I'm just saying this. Stop yawning, stretch, and begin to know what, do what you know what you need to do. Okay, does that mean something to you? Uh-huh. Please do. There's such a depth in both of you. Just because we know a little bit about your past and who you've walked with and the churches that you've been in. But please, start advancing in what God has for your lives. Amen. Um, 
Thank you for coming for the first time as guests. This is church, not as normal. Uh, we raised, I was christened Roman Catholic, raised Anglican, and I don't know what I am now, but I love Jesus. So history, <laughs> history is, thank you for the history of, of those different things in our lives with the different backgrounds. I learned from each of them, but not each of them are perfect. And, and uh, so we're part of the same church, Henny and Zelda and I. Nick and Shona came out of that back in Bedford View, Johannesburg. We live in Pretoria. We go to church in Cornerstone, Bedford View. So we used to travel. Yeah, so what the heck. We, we go there. When we're there. Waffling, cut down. Mark 11, please. If you want me to take notes, please do. I'm going to bring out points that hopefully will help hugely and bring you direction. Mark 11. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage, I'm reading out of the New King James, unfortunately. Well, actually, I can read out of this one, which I typed. They were nearing Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, <clears throat> you'll find a donkey or a colt tied which has never been ridden by anyone. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what do you do? why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went away to the village and found a colt tied outside at a gate in the street. And they untied it. Some of the people who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They replied to them, just as Jesus has directed, and they allowed them to go. They brought the cult to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many of the people spread their coats on the road as an act of tribute and homage before a new king. And others scattered a layer of leaf, leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields, honoring him as Messiah. Those who went in front and those who were following him were shouting in joy and praise, Hosanna, save, I pray. Blessed, praised, glorified is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple enclosure. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve disciples because it was already late in the day. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that there is an enlightening, an unfolding, an impartation a revelation that comes out of these words for church, for life, for individuals. And that, Lord, that there is a pattern that we can see of what you're wanting to do through this word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first thing here, he sent his disciples. I just want to see that now when he drew near to Jerusalem, in the New King James, it says Jerusalem. There are four times Jerusalem is mentioned in this chapter alone. At the end, I'm just going to show where they show up and why, but it's not in the reading. This is the first time he enters Jerusalem. First time he enters a city. I've been asking myself the question, how do we as Christians enter a city and take it over? Last week we were in Coltonville, Henny and I with uh, some others, and he came through. We were preaching, putting up gazebos outside Pick and Pay, center of Coltonville. And we were preaching the gospel there possibly two, three times a day. Not just me, but others. And we were just, no music, just 
device music off the cell phone, but no one's singing praise and worship. Stand up, preach the gospel with a microphone. There's only five, eight, 15 people there, but the people in the car park were hearing the gospel. Preach, call them up. Every one of them got saved. We counted roughly 185 people came and got saved. 100%, whoever came got saved because they came to hear him, Jesus, and they got healed. And so I took that scripture. If that's what Jesus did, that's how he entered cities. And he says in Luke, and whatever city you're going to, eat what's set before you and heal the sick that are in it. So if you want to enter a city, be friendly and meet at their tables, but also heal the sick. You do have not entered a village or a place or a community until they've healed the sick in it, according to Jesus' economy. So when we build church structures and buildings and have our community, our community are only those that are immediately around the church. That's our community. No, he says go into all the world, which is the community that Jesus sees. But how do you begin to enter that? You heal the sick. You do these things that Jesus did. So he sends his two into Jerusalem. Uh, I love the way he says two disciples, because Matthew 9, he sent them two into every city in which he was about to come. Another translation says, he sent the two disciples out before his face into every city. We have a picture of his face, and sometimes we have a picture of his arm. Two different parts of human body. Face, it's his presence. His arm is what he does outside of his presence. When you've got his face, you know the arm is nearby. When you know him, when you see him, when you sense his presence, he will do what he does. When Jesus heals, he has to be there to heal. He doesn't heal on a formula. He heals. He saves because his presence is there. He is the Lord. I am the Lord that healeth thee. He never does anything outside of who he is to you first. That's why he drew the Syrophoenician woman into him and ignored her until he was at his feet. And then he gave her what he wanted. See, he wants you more than what he can do for you. You may have cancer, tuberculosis, whatever, but he wants you first. Then he deals with you. So he sent his disciples in. Go into the village opposite you. This translation says in front of you. And I just highlighted some things. What's in front of you? So often we are waiting for what's going to come to us. What's in front of you? And when you begin to move into what's in front of you, you'll untie things. Things will change. And, as you, and immediately as you enter it, I love those words, what's in front of you as you enter it. So how often in our lives do we wait for something to happen, then we do something. What Jesus is saying here, engage now. In this community here, engage now. Don't get permission, engage. So often we think, well, we have to follow certain things. Jesus didn't. He walked straight into the village. You guys, go there and do this. Do that. If they give you hassles, just tell them, and they're going to send it to me because I've got a job to do. There's an urgency, if you want to know, in this atmosphere. The protocol and the things of the past that are politely, polite to be in public is no longer a protocol to be in public. This protocol stuff of gender thingies, it doesn't exist. Go to the Mau Mau in West Africa, East Africa. They will say, what? What? I don't know this. They, they, they don't know anything about this gender thing. So what the heck are we worrying about 
to, to, for this to define who we are and what we cannot do. doesn't work. You see someone falling over a cliff into hell and demons jumping up trying to get their feet. You're going to worry and say, you know why you're going there? Because you didn't say the right thing about a gender thing. It's not going to work. You're smiling. Sorry. Psychologist. <laughs> it's that truth, right? Let me get on my word. I'm not getting there very fast. And untie a donkey which has never been ridden by anyone. What? That's a key. I want something that has never been touched by anyone. Let me, I wrote this down. On which no one has saddled, sat on, is not, he's unsaddled by any other form or agenda. A cult untrained, unharnessed by formalities and protocols. Mm. We need a, a church that is not harnessed by protocols by agendas, by certain methods. Jesus, Ashbury, he came in there and just exploded in there without having Hillsong worship or some other thing that's going on around there. He took the raw hymns of the 19 Futsack era, which I love, and most musicians say, no, we have to be with Hillsong and Bethel and so on because we have to be up with the date of everything. No, you get back to singing hymns again because his hymns were born in revivals. That's what they were trying to write and sing what was going on in revivals. That's why their amazing grace is a universal big time chart hitter forever and ever. It'll always be there. Why? Because he is amazing grace. So when you come back to the... Here we go, heart of worship and the essential of what it is. It'll grip people's hearts because they long for it. I mean, you go there and you sing songs. Sorry, I'm hitting a holy cow here. You sing songs and you have to look at the screen to get all the different words. It's like reading a book. When you go back to old worship, it's holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, you are the greatest. And it's simple. You didn't have to learn anything. Look at the, our African brothers out in Zululand. They don't have a whole list of things. They just they chant the same thing over and over again for 15 minutes. And you're thinking, how can I keep standing with the same thing? But that's where the thing is at. It's smiling, so I'm okay. <laughs> and untie this thing that no one's ever ridden. And I just thought, yeah, this cult, was it, is it harness trained? What happens when the first guy gets on a young cult? Here it's a donkey, could be cult stallion, whatever. A young stallion. That thing's going to buck and bronk. It doesn't like what it's carrying. But when Lord gets on it, something about that, I think. On all four legs, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cult, when Jesus gets on, he says, my master is on my back, head up. Walks into... See, when God comes in, he doesn't scare anything. In fact, it, to me, it talks about divine authority. Divine authority. So, moving on, the next point here. Let me. He says, then, so when they went to the village and found the colt outside the gate in the street, they untied it. Yeah. So it's going on from there. Why? Why? If anyone asks you why you do this, say the Lord needs it. You know, why are you doing church this way? The Lord needs it. Why are we worshipping this way? Because the Lord wants us to. Why are you preaching the gospel that way and changing the whole protocol and agenda of what the Lord says so? And immediately he'll send it there. So they went to the village, found the cult tied outside at a gate in the temple. 
street. That is outside. It's in the street. It's, it's evangelism, is it not? It's out where everybody passes by and they don't know what you're doing, but they know the cult's tied there because they've seen it. And then you pitch up and you untie that thing and walk away. And this is what I love. I was saying, Lord, why do you go into so much detail outside at a gate in the street? And, and I love preaching on gates. There's a widow of Nain. That's a dead man comes out of a gate of the widow of Nain, out of town Nain. So what came out of that gate in Nain, from that town Nain, was death. The death and darkness was in the village. But Jesus meets it at 90 degree angle because he's the light. Raises the dead and sends it back into the city. Guess what? There's revival. Eh? At the gate of a city. And how many times have things happened at the gate? And they untied it. I love the way they untied it. How do you untie a cult? How do you untie and release something that needs to be used to the Lord? Simply, you untie it. And you ignore those people outside by the gate. Because this person at the gate says, What are you doing untying the cult? Hmm? What do you think you're doing? That cult's always been there. It's not yours. Are you a thief? You're breaking in and taking what's not yours. This is not what you're supposed to do here. This street was so peaceful. We're so secure. You don't untie that cult. Isn't it interesting that people that knowing what they should do and don't do what they should do always ask the questions. Because they know what they should be doing, but you're doing it so they're challenging you. Mm hmm. So, so people here come and tell you how you should do church and everything else. They say, no, no, I'm untying a cult here. You, need to, you have a choice, follow or don't. And this is how it's going to be. Outside the gate in the street, they untied Some people who were standing said to them, what are you doing? And they replied to them, just as Jesus directed, the Lord has need of it. And they allowed them to go and they brought the cult to Jesus and put their coats on it and sat on it. And what I thought, why did they put their coats on it? So is it possession? It's not a saddle, it's a coat. Big difference. You ever ridden a horse bareback? No, I've ridden an elephant bareback. <laughs> it's not nice in shorts, in zim. I came back like this gravel rash, deluxe with their hairs like wire brushes. But it was fun because you've ridden an elephant, not a camel, it's an elephant. I rode an elephant. But, but this thing, they threw their coats on and... Um, Luke 24, 49, it says, Jesus says, Go and wait in Jerusalem until you are endued, covered, clothed with power from on high. So what were they doing to this donkey? And if you want to call this donkey a church or whatever, you want to put your name brand on there. They were going to put their coats on because they were waiting for the anointing of God to come on this thing. So they put their coats. It's not a saddle, not a man's method. This is simple. It's us. It's part of us. We want to be involved with what's going to carry the Lord. We want to be involved with making it comfortable for Him to be with us to go into the city. And He sat on it. And many of the people spread their coats on the streets and they honored the Lord. And it basically, those, verse 9, those who... Were, went before and those who followed crying out. And I read that and I thought, those who went before, yeah, they're the ones that untied it and led the cult. And those who followed, who were the ones who followed? Probably those guys trying to give advice at the gate when they were untying it. What are you doing with us? Are we taking the Lord needs it? Oh, okay, I'm coming too. And so, so those that, are, that challenge what you're doing are actually going to end up following. Because they know. You see, when you know what you should do and you don't do what you should do, you always want to do what you should do when you see someone else doing what you're doing. How's that one? Did you follow that? 
you know you should be there. How many of us are saying, yeah, I know I should evangelize. I know I should testify. Well, go do it, man. Well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, you should do the work of an evangelist. Everyone is to do the work. And if you want to know what your ministry is, do that and you fulfill your ministry. Some of us say, I'm not an evangelist, therefore I'm disqualified from all that. No. Every single one of us that are born again and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and hopefully you're filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues with the evidence of being filled, and baptized in water, you have no excuse not to share the gospel with people next to you. It's not a question. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You must. You should. And in South Africa, the word must is very good. In New Zealand, H, they don't like it. You can't say you must. But we must say it. <laughs> they shouted, Hosanna. Verse 11, I haven't read it to you. And Jesus, okay, so they went into there and they came to Jesus. And Jesus, second time, went into Jerusalem, into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with a twelve. I find that amazing, that verse. He walks in, looks around on the temple, just gazes, hmm, looks around, does nothing, and then leaves. What was he looking at? Maybe the Lord is in South Africa and he's looking at the churches and he's looking around. He's saying, hmm. I think I I wrote down here, um, what would he be looking at? When he had looked around at all things, and the hour was already late, I think he was looking at how the people were standing, how the people were in the temple. Because they were coming and bringing sacrifices, doves and animals, to be relieved of their sins. So they could, it's a form of repentance. Blood and flesh do nothing but what's done in Jesus' name. He is the perfect sacrifice, the last sacrifice. He's done it all. But they were coming. Simon, my son, our son and I were talking yesterday and he said this, which shook me and kind of realized, I realized a whole lot more. He says, Dad, they were bringing their sacrifices, the two little doves to die for them for their sins because the wages of sin is death. You know, blood is the result of sin sacrifice. And um, so the priest would take their two doves and say, um, sorry, this has got a default on it. It's scarred. You can't have these... These won't relieve you of your, of your sin. You can't have this one. You must take these two. These two doves that I've brought, you take mine, I'll let you, I'll pray the prayer over you and you can walk in freedom without guilt and shame. And then the guy over there would come up and say, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. You have to go to that guy. That guy's got the best, the cheapest, and they're the cheapest doves and there are. We, we've painted over the, the scars and the blemishes in them. And please just hold them carefully. If they flap, that, that dust is going to come off and you can see they got a, they're not a perfect sacrifice. And I said, he was saying that and I said, isn't that like church? You know, if you're not a member of my church and do what we tell you, then you're not a member of my church. You have to go through my class to become a member of church A. And if church A is also worshipping the same God, but church B has got a different thing and it's cheaper to go there because it's easier to become a Christian because we all... Turn a blind eye and not smile like Jesus did or God did. It's and we'll let you come in and you can be a leader because you've got a lot of money. I thought, oh my Lord. 
I was cut to the heart. How are we doing church today? What's good enough is good enough. He is perfect. And yet this was happening there. And I think that's why Jesus looks and he says, how is church in Pretoria doing? How is churches in Johannesburg doing? In Durban, Belito, Cape Town. How are they doing? What are they doing for those? Why are sinners not running in? Because I am the perfect sacrifice. They've just got to believe in me, not jump through hoops to get to be satisfied enough. He looked around at them and he departed. He went out and he went out to Bethany with a 12. Verse 12. Now, interesting, verse 12 and the next few verses are extreme teaching on faith and the ability of a Christian. Now, the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree, he cursed it. He found nothing but leaves, for this was the season for figs. And the response Jesus said, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem the third time. They go back into the city a third time. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and seats of those who sold doves. I love to be there. Our gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Oh, he's such a soft, gentle little lamby. Hey, but he's a lion with teeth on when he wants to be. And to go and then grab those tables and... Th- I mean, you cause a riot. So, so, I love that, don't you? Hmm? Yeah? And you would not allow anyone to carry your wares through the temple. Why? Because the Gentiles were involved and they, weren't allowed in, they were not allowed in the temple. They hang around the outside, the outer court, but not in the holy place. So there was a peripheral thing. Then they taught them, saying, It isn't it written that my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations, but you have made it a a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. Death sentence. See, when you start doing stuff right, there's a death sentence. Hallelujah. (laughs) You want to live dangerous? You want want extreme sports? Forget rugby, that's too tame. Everyone, (laughs) ah, sorry, fault. Have a little scrum and then carry. No, this is like extreme stuff. You start preaching this. But people will love you because they love that. You okay? <laughs> yeah, huh? You sure? <laughs> you got that stare down looks like. <laughs> it's like I'm out of here. And all the people were astonished. I want you to highlight that, please. They feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Nick and Shone. Let people be astonished at your teaching. Everything else you can do, everything else you can do in church, you can have lights, fantastic coffee machines, big screen overheads with smoke machines and dim lights. You can have all the props and everything else. But there's one thing that will attract everybody, regardless of whatever props there are, is the authoritative teaching of the gospel. When you preach with authority and power, where they were scared of him because they were astonished at his teaching. And you say, well, he was Jesus. He had the same scriptures as Isaiah 61, which you read in Luke 4, 18, was exactly the same scriptures. He just made it real. And he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it. 
We have so much theology, there's no manifestation. There's so much religion, there's so much stuffiness and constipation of the, of the word that we are not productive in anything. A church dormant has to become a church militant to see revival. Waking up, there's a value call on your lives. There has to be a stirring up, you too. A stirring up to go and do what you know that's inside of you. Because when you know what's inside of you and it starts happening, you begin to live in a way that you've never, ever lived before. There's something that happens. So they came to Jerusalem, verse 15. Then Jesus went and began to... Okay, I've read that. And he taught them, saying, My house... Okay, let me catch up where I'm supposed to be. Now in the morning he passed by, saw a fig tree. Gosh, let me... Then he goes on to verse 23. For I assuredly, verse 23, sorry, Peter reminded him and said, Rabbi, verse 21, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. A, 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 a ra most radical teaching on faith is what you say, you get. When you curse things, the root dies, the fruit does not show. When, when people are praying for healing in the sick, healing the sick, people, you pray, you curse the root of cancer, the fruit or the leaf is the symptoms. It takes time for the symptoms to disappear because the root is severed. The sap has to dry up to the thing. That's why symptoms, that's why Jesus says, you shall recover. But today, I think most people want to microwave instant healings. Zzz, one second, I'm healed. Now you, you still got, see the symptoms still hang around. And so he said, you want to know what, how faith works? That's how faith works. It's a teaching on faith. Second, he talks about mountains. Fig trees to mountains. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Very important words. Doubt in the heart. Believes what you say. The most powerful weapon on earth today is a Christian with a mouth lined up in the Word of God. Yeah. Truly, life and death and the power of the tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. So what you say out of the power of the tongue with the Word of God, you get whatever you have. Not Rolls Royces and Ford Bentleys, and, but, but you can speak to mountains. And what are mountains? They're geographical situations that are impossible to move in any other way which can be a cancer to someone, it can be a, a huge financial debt. But when you speak to that thing, it disappears. It's talking about faith. And verse 25, one of the conditions, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. And your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. In other words, if you want this thing to work, walk in forgiveness. Walk a life of low, Kelly, what's that thing you say? Short accounts. Short accounts of wrong on other people's lives. You, you want the supernatural to flow? Do that. Short accounts of, oh, I got so upset with what they said. Do you know what they did? Yeah. Huh? Offenses, yeah. Forget it, it's not worth it. In the light of this, you want to move Everest and bury it in an ocean that has no evidence of anything there flatlining across. This. So it's not worth it. Verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. Fourth time. Jesus goes in and out that city. 
And he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him. They said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Authority is what this world needs. Authority is what the church needs to stand up in. The authority of this word of God, this thing, this word, unfortunately the world's laughed at it, printed it in many different translations, tried to dilute it, made a mockery of it. But if you're a son and daughter of the most living high God, you are incredible, powerful, a nation-changing, city-challenging person, and there are things to do. thing is, one person said, that donkey, no one had ridden it. How do you become a trained horse to become an unridden donkey? The answer is you empty yourself of any other format and protocol and say, Lord, I want you. It's you or nothing else. It's not, well, if I become this, if I do this, if I'm a deacon, then I am more favored of you. No. It's not names and positions and places. It's the fact that you hear his voice at any second of the day when he talks to you and you know that you're available to him. That's what it is. His presence to you in your life is the most blessed, valuable thing you can ever have. His presence. Knowing that you are in His presence. Knowing that when you talk to Him, He will listen and answer you because you know He's pleased with you. Not because of what you've done, but because who you are with Him. And when he, you know who you are with Him, you know who you are. You know who you are. The presence of God is simply this. When your conscious awareness of God's presence is so close that when you whisper something, you know He hears you and your ear is tuned in enough to hear His answer. It's not hours of prayers, binding and loosing, casting out and bind, hauling down and fasting. That, that, you can do that. But how about better than living a fasted life like Kenneth Hagin did all his life? He missed a meal a day for his whole life. It's healthy. He said it's a lifestyle, not a moment in life. Yes. That's what's important. So my question is today, I pray, pray Nick and Sinead, that your church becomes like that donkey, if it were. Someone has untied you and sent you here. Let no man put their rug on you. Let no man saddle you. Their method. You become the one that carries Jesus into this community. And you're the one that doesn't go into bargaining and wheeling and dealing in the temple. You are the temple. You two are the temple. It's not a building. It's, what, it's where people can sense His presence. Because you are leadable, untieable, and you want Him on whatever you do. All you can do is just throw down palm leaves if you want to. There's plenty around here. Just hack them in. It's just make the walk gentle. Lift the valleys and lower the mountains, as Zelda mentioned. So it makes it prepare ye the way of the Lord, that He can come in and shine His way. Amen. So I'm going to ask two questions as I close. And in a moment of prayer, two, two questions. And uh, those two questions you may have answered before. But I think it's pertinent now because 
It's what he wants, I feel. It's about him, Jesus. So if you just maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning that it has brought light and life, not a harness in any way. I pray, Lord, that the outcome of this, the take home over the weekend is, I want you more, Lord. I want you in my house, my life, my car, my every part of my life. Forgive me, Lord, for not being perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all students. We are disciples learning, disciplined ones learning your ways. But Lord, to become a disciple, we need to be one that believes in you. And so my first question is, is there anyone here that does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and senses today that, yes, this is the day I want to make that right, to follow him, acknowledge him, because he is the man of eternal life. Is there anyone here? If there is, can you just lift your hand quickly and put it down? Or maybe afterwards you come and chat to one of us or Nick or Shanae. Second thing is this. If you have been a Christian and you're backslidden away from the truth, you have become like a prodigal son and daughter. You knew him. You were in the Father's house. You, were, you knew the Lord God, your Father. But somehow, elder brothers and sisters, other supposedly well-meaning Christians have driven you out because you've said, this is, this is church, I'm getting out of here. It's not about them, it's about the one that continually is looking down that path he left on and he's wanting you to come back. Full commitment. And maybe there's one of, someone here just wants to say, I need to get right back where I need to. I know there's that knowing guilt and shame in my heart and I need to come back to him. And again, I say, no one's perfect, but there's an opportunity of acknowledgement. You see, repentance is what started the Asbury Revival. Repentance, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. It's not about how good I am, how many scriptures you quote. It's forgive me, Lord. So if that's anyone here the same, and says, yeah, that's me, maybe you just lift your hand too and say, I just want to make sure I get back to that place of correctness. In a small room like that, you're probably embarrassed, but I'm saying, moments like these, you come right with God. You come right with Him. So Lord, I thank you for every person here. But I pray that this church will grow strong, big. And I'm glad, Lord, that even now the environmental place of where it is is a problem because it needs to be a bigger structure. I pray, Lord, for openings of opportunity where this church can meet in a place That'll host, make people comfortable to hear your word with authority and power. And that we, as in this room, become involved, engaged, and participate in leading this cult. So that the Lord can be taken into cities through this church. Taken into places in this community. That we're not harnessed by mentalities and formalities and protocols that are hindering what you're wanting to do. That's a wild church that begins to do wild things. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Bless us. Bless each person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nick. Don't brush off. Um...
just have to say, firstly, uh, one thing I love about you guys is how you've thanked us multiple times this morning for the privilege of being here. Now, you're going to know that this couple gets invited to speak at platforms where thousands and thousands of people are sitting in the, the auditorium and they count it a privilege to be with us. And that's not to diminish what's, what's happening here, but it highlights just the significance of their desire to be faithful. And, um, and that's a, it's a special thing for us to have you here, and it's a privilege. You know, we were at uh, City Hill on, on Sunday, and there was a gentleman that had a prophetic word over us, and he made a statement. He said, I feel God's planting seeds, but the seeds are going to explode. And Jackie had a picture of seeds breaking open a couple of weeks ago. And, and I think it's moments like this where we see these seeds exploding. And the word exploding speaks of harnessing a power that starts to kind of escape. And in that, there's this breaking open that comes. And, and I'm trusting that the, the byproduct of a morning like this is that there's this breaking open. As much as Umkia says, you curse the root and eventually the fruit will, will, will start to wither. You bless the roots and eventually you'll see the fruit start to grow. And I'm trusting that the fruit will start to come as a byproduct of this time. 